to speak about an extraordinary God that he begins to show up and, and back it up with signs, wonders, and miracles. He begins to back up the truth of his word with his presence. And last week, um, Carling had had a chance to share a word, an exhortation uh, to the church to, to not lift up uh, people, to not idolize people, to, but to make sure that we were only lifting up a living God and to um, only put him first place in our lives. And then uh, to have God again then speak through a word through my husband. That's what, that's what an extraordinary God does. He begins to come upon our ordinary. And what he does is he begins to back up the truth of his word so that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that truly that is God speaking to us and wanting to move in and through us. So God is beginning to speak in a greater measure uh, to our church. And I just want to ask you to keep your minds, keep your hearts, keep your spirits open and to what God wants to say and to speak to each and every one of you. Because um, as we talked last week, that we are an ordinary people but with an extraordinary God. And he wants, to, uh, he wants us to have that impact. He wants us to have that influence, not only on our lives, on people around us, but in our communities in Kingston and even to the nations where some of our missionaries are right now. So I just want to give us a brief review of um, the extraordinary message that we started out with last week. We were talking about last week's message was ordinary people. And we talked about the fact that God was shifting perspectives and that he was lifting off the weight of feeling like we already have to be extraordinary in order for God to use us. And we were referring to the fact that, that God was going to begin to uproot and reveal where the enemy has been hiding in our lives through lies, limitations, mental perspectives, so that we could see an extraordinary God coming upon us as ordinary people. And we also talked about the fact that God was going to rebuild and, and begin to firmly reestablish and plant his presence into our lives because he is an extraordinary God. And we used a couple of definitions last week, which I'll put up again uh, today. Actually, I was going to... Yeah, I think I, I skipped that one slide. That's okay, James. Um, we used the definition of ordinary, which meant of no special quality or interest, commonplace, unexceptional, undistinguished, customary, usual, or normal. And we use this definition for extraordinary. It meant to be beyond what is ordinary, noteworthy, or remarkable. And um, we were talking about a pers perspective shift of, yes, there are ordinary and extraordinary things in our lives. We make that comparison often, whether it's, a, it's an ordinary bungalow house or it's an extraordinary mansion. And there is that perspective, but God was giving us a different perspective. He wanted us to recognize that we as a people, in order for his presence to move upon us, because I don't know about you, I want God to move in and through my life in a very powerful way because I know he can, and it touches lives. And from what I know of everybody here in my Impact family, that you guys too want to see God move in and through your lives and to touch those that are, are around you. So God wanted to give us a perspective shift that it was okay for us to recognize and to call ourselves ordinary 
so that he could be extraordinary. Because often sometimes we try to be extraordinary all on our own, and we end up doing things by ourselves in our own striving, in our own struggling, and in our own flesh. And in doing so, then we, then we limit uh, what God is wanting to do and to reveal his extraordinary. And um, I had talked about um, part of my 19-year journey of uh, being a women's ministries leader, and how for the first seven years of being a women's ministries leader, um, I had struggled with not seeing the fruit that I had felt that I wanted to see, and felt that the effort that I was putting in should be seeing. And after seven years of crying out to God, saying, God, do you want me to just step down? Maybe I'm not the leader for this. Um, He had come and he had said to me, Rachel, I don't want you to step down. I want you to step aside. And that began a journey of learning how does God want me to step aside so that his presence can move mightily uh, in, in me so he can touch other people. And God has been continuing on that journey. And um, I kind of came to an aha moment this past May when I said I went to Australia. We went to Australia for that whole month. We've gone to visit family. And um, while we were there, we decided to visit Hillsong uh, in Sydney, are many of you familiar with Hillsong Church, the Hillsong music? Most of the music that we sang this morning uh, was Hillsong. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a really big church in Australia that God is just moving in their worship and in their church and in their teachings, and it's just gone international over over the last, I would say, decade. And he's just moving mightily in them. So when we went to Australia, I was really excited about going to be able to visit Hillsong. And I was like, yes, I get to be where in the presence of God where he is just moving mightily. I can't wait to be there. Um, so when we ended up being there for two services, um, I walked away going, you know what? I have felt the presence of God stronger at Impact Church in Kingston, Canada than there. Absolutely. And um, what I took away from that was this, that this particular message, that we are an ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And what I believe God was doing, because he was trying to teach me something, and he was teaching me so that I could release that teaching uh, to, to other people. And that is that he, he hid his extraordinary, because he is extraordinarily using Hillsong. But he hid his extraordinary while we were there, so that I could see that they are just an ordinary people. Because what we have a tendency to do is if we see somebody in another part of the world or we see somebody who's been raised up to a, a certain place uh, where God is allowing them to have a greater influence or a greater responsibility, we think, well, I couldn't possibly ever reach or attain or touch that place because they must have been already extraordinary. They must have had a star over their crib in order for God to be using them like that. So God hid his extraordinary for me so that I could recognize Australia on the other side of the world. God's using them mightily, but they are an ordinary people. And you know what? We are here today at Impact Church in Kingston, Canada, an ordinary people with an extraordinary God. So we want to shift our perspective that we already have to be extraordinary. We don't. 
we get to just be ordinary and let God move and touch our lives in phenomenal ways. And was that worship this morning not extraordinary? Thank you, worship team, for a beautiful time of worship. So this morning, I want to talk about an extraordinary God. Last week was ordinary people. This morning is an extraordinary God. And I'm going to start out with um, Ephesians 3, 7 to, 7 to 10. And this is um, the Apostle Paul uh, writing, and he's referencing the fact that the Gentiles are now being included in salvation. He says, this is my life helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians just like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Isn't that amazing that the salvation that God has worked for humanity is talked about among the angels? The angels have no ability to to receive, understand, or encompass salvation. It's only for humanity. And, it's, and this is an extraordinary plan of God. And the Apostle Paul stated that he was the least qualified of not only the apostles, but all of Christians. Can you imagine? So the Apostle Paul is saying, if he were here in our day speaking this morning, he would say, with all of the Christians that are here this morning, and most of us would raise the Apostle Paul up to probably a uh, hero worship level that he's saying that he's the least of all of us. He's the least of all of Christians. And um, this was, the Apostle Paul had written this towards the end of his life. And towards the end of his life, he had already had f multiple missionary trips, but four major biblical missionary trips under his belt. He had established churches. He had saved countless of pre people. He had uh, brought the message of salvation, not just to the Israelite people, but to the Gentiles. And he had written two-thirds of the New Testament. And he had worked multitudes, multitudes of miracles in people. And here he's saying that he is the least of all the Christians and that he's unqualified. So we can take from that that we are always unqualified always unqualified. Even Paul, with his most, most of his qualifications, whether it was in the natural or whether it was what God had done through him, he said that he was the least qualified. So we are always unqualified, but God qualifies us. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10 says this, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So Paul recognized that none of his accomplishments could be attributed to himself. He was ordinary, but he had an extraordinary God. You know, education doesn't qualify us. 
Um, I have a background in behavioral science technology. I also now have a pastoral ministries degree. But that doesn't qualify me to stand up here and speak to you. What qualifies me to stand up and speak is God. What qualifies each and every one of you, it's not what education you might have, it's not what money you might have, it might not be your status. What qualifies you to speak the word of God, to speak the gospel, to speak that extraordinary plan is an extraordinary God. And that's it. It's all about him. So as children of God, we are not extraordinary. We are ordinary. He loves us, and we are a special treasure to him. But we are still, from the least to the greatest, an ordinary people. However, we are part of an extraordinary plan. We get to spread the gospel around the nations. We are not extraordinary, but we proclaim an extraordinary message. We are not extraordinary, but we carry the presence of an extraordinary God. Isn't that absolutely amazing? We carry the presence of the living God. That is an extraordinary plan. Acts 19, 11, 12 says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Will there be times that we, as children of God, who are ordinary people with an extraordinary God, will we look extraordinary? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul looked extraordinary when, he, when God was working those miracles in and through him. But as you read your Bible, you'll recognize that every time somebody tried to idolize him and lift him up to ex- and exalt him, he said, don't worship me. We're not gods. We're ordinary people. Only God can be God. And it's that God that is working this miracle in and through us to touch your life. It's the same thing for us, that there will be times that when we recognize we are an ordinary people, but he is an extraordinary God, that we will look extraordinary, but we are not. And sometimes because we look extraordinary, we have to be extra cautious and extra careful with that. Um, And the reason why is sometimes it causes us to put on a pretense or it causes causes us to put on a show um, because we, we might elevate ourselves to a place where we think that God is using us because we're so, so special and, and we're the ones that he needs to be using. So then we end up moving into a place of, of showing ourselves off instead of showing, off of showing off God. And when we do that, then we subtly steal from God's glory and we risk beginning to nullify his work. To steal means to take without permission. If you obviously, if you go into somebody's home and you, and you steal something from them, what you're doing is you're taking something that doesn't belong to you without permission. So we accidentally take without permission God's glory. Matthew 13 and 58 says this, when Jesus went into his own hometown in Nazareth, it says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Another translation says, lack of faith. You know, um, Jesus had gone in to uh, work some miracles in that city, and he did do some. But because of their unbelief, it says that he, didn't, he did not do many miracles there. And in the Greek, that actually means he deliberately purposed not to. 
You've ever wondered why God would deliberately purpose not to work miracles or signs and wonders? I did, and the reason is this, is because they were saying, guess what, Jesus? We know you. You came from Nazareth. Nazareth is a poor place. Nazareth has nothing. Who are you to come into our city you who came from us, you who came from nothing, you who are poor, who are you to come into our city and begin to work uh, signs and wonders and miracles and to say that you're God? No, we're ordinary, Jesus, and guess what? You're ordinary too. And what they did was they reduced the level of God down to man. And because of that, Jesus said, I'm not going to give God my glory to another, so I won't work. And I, he purposed not to do any miracles there. So when we reduce, when we have a tendency to reduce God to man, then we have a tendency to not, to not see his signs, wonders, and miracles worked in and through our lives. But when we recognize that we are ordinary, that he is Jesus, the Son of God, that he is extraordinary, then he begins to be unlimited. We, we stop stealing from his glory. He says, I'm going to pour out my presence. I'm going to pour out my glory then on a people because they're not going to take what doesn't belong to them. They're going to give to our Heavenly Father. They're going to give to God the Father the glory that is due his name and he begins to work miracles in and through those people. An example, too, excuse me, of uh, stealing from God's glory is Abraham and Sarah. You know, God had come to them and he had given them a promise that, that they were going to have multitudes of descendants, more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky, and um, that he was going to birth a child through Abraham and Sarah. But it, it was taking a long time, and Abraham and Sarah decided to come up with a plan. Uh, back in those days, and in, in, in that time, they were if, if the wife was, in, was barren and wasn't able to have children, then they would allow the, the husband to lay with a, with a slave, and she would bear the children children, and that would become their, uh, the one that would inherit the inheritance from the father. So they contrived a plan to have a son that they thought would fulfill the promise of God. And um, what they ended up doing was they ended up stealing from God's glory. They ended up making the promise null and void because they were taking what wasn't theirs, and they were trying to bring about in the flesh something that God wanted to bring about supernaturally and extraordinarily. And um, what happened then was that Ishmael was born. And God ended up then waiting for 15 years after Ishmael was born, he finally, finally allowed the real promise of God to come forth, which was Isaac. And as we know even today, that what, is, what was birthed in the flesh has been contending with what was promised of God all of these years. We're even experiencing it right now. So what we can take from that is that what is birthed in the flesh will always contend with the promised extraordinary glory of God. And we can also take away from that examples that we, we can sometimes delay God's promises by taking from his glory uh, without realizing it. God let, uh, he may let us stay barren and fruitless until we recognize that we are ordinary and we can't bring about the promises of God on our own. We need an extraordinary God to bring about his promises so that the real fruit can come to pass. Isaiah 42 and 8 says this, I am the Lord... That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share 
my praise. And um, as I was explaining this message to Pastor Cameron when he asked uh, if I would speak for this these three weeks, um, we were talking about that very concept of the glory of God, and, and I was sharing with him in a, uh, my life in terms of how God has taught me about not touching the glory of God, and he happened to share um, his story with me, and I thought it was very impactful and powerful that I wanted to, sh- to share here with you today, and he gave me permission to do so. So when Cameron was in his youth um, and in the church that he grew up in, the youth group was growing and they were expanding and the area that they were in was needing to be expanded as well obviously so they had um, taken out the one of the top levels and they had redone the rooms and expanded some of it and some of the youth um, they had volunteered to paint and so Cameron and some of his friends went in to paint and as they were painting um, he said they thought well wouldn't it be cool for us to put our thumbprints over in some obscure little place so that 30 years later we'd be able to come back to this room and go look what we did remember when and he said as soon as they did that he felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon him and he felt God say this to the say this to him never let your fingerprints be seen on the glory of God. And that hit him so strongly that he then, he ended up going back and sanding off his thumbprint and and repainting over that. But isn't that exactly what we need to remember? That we should never allow our flesh, our own striving, our own thumbprints to be on the extraordinary glory of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and 29 says, no flesh should glory in his presence because there is one thing that God won't share and that is his glory it's his extraordinary and he does that for our own protection he does it uh, to not reduce him to our level but because this causes his image to be distorted so when we when we take God from his extraordinary level and we bring him down to our ordinary level, then we end up having a distorted image of God and a wrong perspective of who he is and what he can or cannot do in and through our lives. And 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, 4 and 5 says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, when you see um, Hillsong, when you see uh, Abel Johnson, when you see Cameron and Sandra Jeffs, when you see people that God is using in a mighty way uh, raised up, they have a greater influence, a greater place of responsibility. God says don't idolize them. Don't put them on a, ped- on a pedestal. They are there only to serve you in the name of Jesus Christ. They do not preach themselves, but they preach Jesus as Lord. So this morning, when we come into a place where we say, God, we want you to move through us. God, we want you to use us. God, we want you to touch our families, touch our community, touch the city. We want to see you do mighty signs and wonders and miracles. Know this, that God is asking us and he's saying to us that our masks have to go. We have to recognize that we are ordinary so his extraordinary can come upon us. So masks have to go pretenses have to go. He can't bless what we pretend to be. He can only bless what we truly are. It's so easy, and I've walked this, and I've walked this journey, and to be honest, I think I'm just coming out of that journey. 
we don't realize the subtlety of our pretenses. You know, when you see certain people do certain things that you would like to be doing, sometimes we have a tendency to try to mimic them, to try to bring something the way they would bring it. But God says, I don't want you to do it the way they do it. It's okay for you to be ordinary. It's okay for you to be the way you are because there's a particular fruit, there's a particular seed, there's a particular uh, influence and substance in your life that I want to imprint on somebody else's life. I want you to be that ordinary person. I want you to be just as you are. And when you are just as you are and you're ordinary, then my extraordinary will come upon you. So our, he can't bless what we pretend to be. Um, in the Strong's Greek lexicon, pretense is described this way. It says, to cause to shine before. So if we try to shine before God, then we take without permission his glory. So all of our masks, all of our pretenses, all of our fake it till you make it, we're accidentally stealing from God's glory. Do we recognize that we're, we're actually accidentally limiting an extraordinary God because he says, no one can glory in my presence. So he will withhold his extraordinary until we get that we're ordinary. God's glory is his manifested presence uh, on earth, and therefore manifested means to be to be brought from the unseen into the realm of the seen. So his glory is that manifested presence. So when we worship in the morning and we feel the presence of God come upon the room and wash through the room, that's the glory of God being manifested from heaven on earth, from the unseen to the seen. And we don't want to touch that. What we want to do is we want to uncover our ordinariness so that his extraordinary can be revealed. And we talked about even catching a glimpse of his presence, of his face this morning, it, makes us, it brings us and it makes us undone. It changes everything we see and everything we seek when we allow our ordinary to uncover his extraordinary. And um, I just want to share briefly, a couple of years ago, right now actually, we have missionaries down in Haiti. Now they're not with the organization uh, that we uh, normally have our whole team of missions going down to. Um, they're in another area. They're teaching school for a year. But pretty soon we're having another Haiti missions team going in 2016. Yay, missions team. Um, absolutely. I'm pointing over here because Karen is our leader. <laughs> if you want to know about the missions team, talk to the lady in the stripes. It's good. Um, but we had a chance, my husband and I and my youngest daughter, we had a chance to go on the very first Haiti missions team in 2013. And um, when we were there, we were there for nine days. And um, what you have a chance to see is that within this one island, there's Haiti on one half, and there's the Dominican Republic on the other half. And when you're flying into Haiti, literally you see a demarcation of it's really lush and green on the Dominican Republic side, but it's brown and rubble and stone on the, ha on the Haitian side. And while we were there, literally that's all you see. You see, I mean, there are some trees and there, are some, there is some greenery, but for the most part, it's dirt and it's rubble 
and it's stones, and it's, and it's gray, and it's brown, and they have absolutely nothing. They've been, they are a fourth world country sitting within a first world continent. They're the only fourth world con- country uh, on, on our continent. I, as far as I'm aware, there are no third world countries on, the con- on our continent. But there's a fourth world country, and that's Haiti. So they have, they're devastated. They have absolutely nothing. And literally, it's like they've been abandoned by the, by the, by the world. And so when you're there, you see that, that devastation. You see the way that they live. Um, and yet, when we, as a team, we, we would go out into the communities, and we would um, speak to them and share the gospel. Sometimes we would take things for them, um, clothing and and goodie bags and different things like that with hygienic needs in it. And as we would give those to them, we would eventually ask, you know, what can we pray for you for? Can we pray with you and what can we pray for? And most of the time, now they would, because this was after the earthquake, sometimes they would ask for, you know, so that they could have a home because they're, they're living on a, a cement slab and their home was devastated during the earthquake. Um, they might pray for a job if, if there's a father and he's in need of taking care of his kids and sometimes they're taking care of, of neighbors' children as well because they're, they're orphaned. They lost their parents in the earthquake, different things like that, but they're devastated. And we would ask, what do you want us to pray for? Often they would say this, pray for more faith. Pray that God would increase our faith. And I found it very confusing. I didn't completely understand why would a people who have absolutely nothing pray for more faith? I just couldn't get it. And to be honest, for the last two years, I still couldn't get it. And I was seeking, and as I was preparing this message, I felt like God was finally revealing to me what they were asking for, because they are far wiser than I am. <laughs> and I am so glad that God is finally giving, giving me this perspective. They were asking to know who God was so they could remove their limitations, because that's all they have are limitations. No wealth, no power, no status, sometimes no food, water is getting dirty, they have no way out. So they were asking, who is God? Is he above my limitations? They were asking to have a correct view of God so they could see their circumstances for what they were, which is not impossible for God to change. They were asking to rise above those circumstances by knowing what God was capable of in their situation, not what they were capable of, because they have nothing. In some sense, they are not capable of anything. So they were saying, show me a God, increase my faith that I would know that he is capable, he is extraordinary, and I am not. Show me that God, increase my faith because they know that they are poor and that they are wretched and miserable and naked and that they have nothing. They know that they're hungry and they're thirsty for an extraordinary God to move upon their ordinary. So they ask to have their faith increased. See, faith is the power to trust that despite our ordinary, despite our lack of anything to give, that God 
is extraordinary, and he can and he will give us his all. And even though we are a people that we don't necessarily sometimes know that, that we are in need, that we too are wretched and naked and miserable and poor, and that we are in need of him, he, he too, he wants us to recognize that we're ordinary and that he will give us his extraordinary. See, we live by what we believe. The number one greatest tragedy for Christians is to have a distorted image of God, a wrong perspective of who God is and what he can do in and through our lives. To have a mental assent to a truth, like we can read the scriptures and we can pick out a truth and we can say, I believe that that is a truth and that God said it and that he can do it. But just having a mental assent to that truth isn't... um, what's going to bring freedom, perhaps, or a bondage to be broken. It's a, true belie- it's a true belief in our hearts, not just in our minds, that that is truly God's word, and he can and will do what his word says. So a mental assent to a truth um, as correct doesn't bring victory. Faith and belief in God does. When we know that God is extraordinary, God is capable, God is unlimited, then we can know with that faith in God, not in our circumstances, we can know that God will do what we've asked him to do. 1 John 5, 3 and 4 says, For our love for God means that we obey his commands, and his commands are not too hard for us, because every child is able to defeat the world, and we win the victory over the world by means of our faith. So it's our thinking and our perspectives that limits an extraordinary God. And that's part of the perspective shift that God has been doing throughout this this series so that we would see that we are ordinary. It's okay, we are his special treasure, but we are ordinary and we need to recognize that so his extraordinary can come on that ordinary. The Haitians were asking for a perspective shift. We need to be asking for an increase of faith. We need to be asking to know who is this God that is capable and unlimited and extraordinary. You know, we are a people that seemingly qualifies ourselves often through education, our wealth, our status, our power. But Revelation 3 and 17 sums up often what we say that I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And we don't realize that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It's a dangerous time for a nation or a person, or the most dangerous time, I should say, for a nation and a person is when we actually begin to prosper. Suddenly we forget who God is and who we are and we begin to reduce God to the level of man and suddenly all of those things that he used to be able to do in and through our lives and to bring prosperity is suddenly limited and in actuality God will even limit it himself because he says I will not give my glory to another. We always have to recognize that we are ordinary and he is extraordinary. I'm going to call Carling and Heather to come back up Uh, to the worship. So Haiti is poor in all of these things, education, wealth, status, but they are becoming rich in God's presence. When we were down there and we experienced their worship times, there was a, a presence of God. There was a glory of God that would just 
rest on that place. And even times when we would wake up in the morning, they are early risers. Let me tell you, that rooster cock-a-doodle-doos and they're, uh, they're up worshiping God, saying praise to Jesus for the sun. Um, I don't know. I wasn't saying praise, praise Jesus for the sun. But, um, but there was, so we had a school actually outside the compound where we were uh, staying. And all of the teachers were, were surrounded around this flagpole. And they would do devotions and they would begin to worship God. And the moment they began to worship God, there was just this presence this beautiful, glorious presence of God that would come upon them. And the reason, and he's beginning to move and to change the Haiti Arise uh, organization that we go down with. I'm going to say this. Watch what God is going to do. Watch what an extraordinary God is going to do through Haiti Arise because he's beginning to arise Haiti because they know they are an ordinary people who have an extraordinary God. They have nothing, but they have this God who is beginning to move and to shake things down in Haiti. And even for Mark and Lisa who run that, that organization, watch to see what an extraordinary God is going to do in and through that, those two people with lives laid down, recognizing that they are ordinary, but they have an extraordinary God. I'm going to give two examples of some ordinary biblical characters, and please do play, um, as we finish up this morning. There's, first, there's Moses, and we all know Moses very, very well. And Moses was um, an, a Hebrew, but he was found by an Egyptian princess, and he was brought into the palace. And he was brought in to become a prince of Egypt, and he had everything. He had power and wealth and status. But he heard a call of God, and that call of God was to, to see his people, his Hebrew people that were slaves under the Egyptian regime to see them set free and he thought you know what I feel that call and he went out and he tried to rescue uh, the Hebrew slaves and he ended up rescuing one Hebrew slave and he ended up killing an, an Egyptian he ended up having to run away because he thought that he could do it all on his own and he killed one Hebrew slave but God had another purpose for Moses he needed Moses to recognize his ordinariness so that an extraordinary God could come upon him and empower him to fulfill the call that God had given him and put upon his life. So he took Moses to the backside of the desert, to a place where it was dry, where he was going to hunger, where he was going to thirst, where he was going to be in a place of barrenness and unfruitfulness until he could be stripped of his his seemingly extraordinary personhood of being a prince of Egypt, of having the power, the wealth, and the status. He was going to be stripped of all those things till he recognized, you know what? I'm just an ordinary Hebrew slave. I may have been living in the palace, but I'm just an ordinary person. And I'm a shepherd in a barren place. And I'm hungry and thirsty for an extraordinary God to come and fulfill the call that is drawing and pulling upon my heart. And he encountered that extraordinary God. And because he had recognized his ordinariness at this point, God was able to put his extraordinary on Moses' ordinary. And Moses was able to go back and bring out, they say biblically, about two million slaves. 
as well as all of their livestock. Not one, two million. Because Moses recognized his ordinary, God puts his extraordinary on him. And then there's Peter in the New Testament. Peter, who we know, who in his worldly ways was really worldly bold. And he had said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'll never deny you, Jesus. I, I'm all in. I'm your disciple. I believe in you. I've seen the sign, wonders, and miracles. I want to do it, God. I hear your call. I'm your disciple. Let's do this. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Jesus. But then Jesus ends up having to stand trial. And Peter says, he denies him three times, and he runs away. God had to strip Peter of his seemingly extraordinary, help him to recognize that he was just an ordinary guy, but a disciple of a living God, an extraordinary God. And he took Peter, and Peter ended up being the one to stand up on the day of Pentecost with the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time ever being poured out on earth. He had the extraordinary presence of God coming on his ordinary, and he spoke boldly the words of the gospel, the extraordinary plan of salvation. And in the end, Peter ended up being crucified on the cross, just like Jesus. But the scholars say he was crucified upside down. God's ordinary came on Peter's, or God's extraordinary came on Peter's ordinary. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 says, We have this treasure, God's extraordinary plan, an extraordinary proclamation, an extraordinary presence in jars of clay. That jars of clay represents our ordinary humanity, that we are just clay in a potter's hand that he has formed and and we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us when we give God his rightful place he gives a place to us when we build a platform for God he builds us one and when we humble ourselves before God he raises us up Ephesians 3.20, and you can skip a slide, James. Ephesians 3.20 and 21 says this, Now to him who, by inconsequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare to ask or think, infinitely beyond our human, beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What we want to do is we want to allow we want to keep ourselves ordinary and allow God to be extraordinary. We are not meant to be superheroes. We are meant to be heroes of the faith. I'm just going to pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence this morning. We just thank you that you are revealing your extraordinary, Lord God. Father, we just thank you that when we lift you up, you come and you place your presence upon your people. 
Father, I just pray that for those who are here today who maybe their hearts are being stripped this morning. Maybe you're dealing with something deep within somebody's heart that you want to see them let go of so that your extraordinary can come on their ordinary. God, I just pray that you would remove perspectives, that you would remove lies of the enemy, that you would take off limitations, Lord God, that we would be able to see you for who you are and what you can do. God, I just pray that you would begin to come and you would begin to move through the power of your Holy Spirit on your children's hearts this morning, that they would know that it's okay and that you want them to recognize that they are ordinary so your extraordinary can come and begin to work in and through their lives. God, for those who have felt a call but have tried to do it in their own strength, God, I just pray that we would lay it down this morning. We would allow you to bring about the calling and the promises that you have upon our lives. That we would give you the chance to bring your extraordinary on our ordinary this morning. So this morning, I'm going to, I'm going to release you. If you need to go, feel free to go. But if you want to stay and you want to linger in God's presence, if there's something that you want to lay down before God this morning, if there's something that he's touching deep in your heart to let go of, then I want to encourage you to stay. You can stay in your seat if you want, or if you want to come to the altar, feel free to do so. We'll have people here available and ready to pray with you if you would like. But for those who need to go, feel free to go. And um, Carling and Heather are just going to play. And if you want to stay and you want to let God bring his extraordinary on your ordinary as you lay it before him, then feel free to do so this morning. Thank you. No pen or quill, no scroll.